It's Monday, July 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Happy Monday, gentlemen. Howdy. It's back. You're back. I, I am back. Where'd Where you go? Where you? Um, I went. Well deserved vacation. Well, oh, I, I like to think so. Thing I like to think right? so. <laughs> uh, Spain and Portugal. Spain and Portugal? Yeah. Wow. So, was it just pure vacation? Yeah, my uh, girlfriend, uh, her family's from Portugal. And oh, so, wow. we went to Spain for a few days and then went toasted with them. So, actually got engaged while I was over there. Whoa! Yeah. All right. Congratulations. <laughs> well done, man. Yeah, well so. done. Uh, well, we're going to talk about a big deal in the energy industry. We will dip into the full mailbag, but let's let's start close to Portugal and Spain, and that is, of course, Greece. And I'm sure, as we are speaking right now, whatever we're about to talk about <laughs> is going to unravel in the next few hours. But price of admission, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jason, I, I, it looks like we have an agreement uh, for a three-year bailout, which, by the way, is the third bailout in five years. If it gets final agreement later this week, do we think this is? Do we think we're going to get this? Um, you know, it 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 sounds like this is something that's going to happen. It sounds like they uh, had initially given up on this, and then at the, the last second, um, you know, the, the powers that be just couldn't couldn't tolerate any, anything but but some sort of agreement being being met. I, I think you know the question that comes up to everybody's mind immediately is, well, well, then what was the vote for, right? What was the referendum for? Because apparently now it didn't matter, right? And you know, for us, you know, we look at this from the outside and say, well. That was that was a you know a win for democracy and the, and the people got to voice their opinion, but now really it's not a win because the people's opinion didn't really matter. Face. Yeah, you went back. Uh, yeah. Perhaps down the road, I mean, there there will be some some elected officials who are ousted because of this. I don't know. I mean, I I for one, honestly, really just was for Greece exiting the eurozone. I mean, to me, this is just. There, there are always going to be, I think, these fundamental sort of cultural clashes that exist within the European Union and, and the Eurozone specifically. And you know, I mean, you look at Germany views finance far differently than, than Greece does, and that is unlikely to really ever change. And so, you know, for anyone thinking, well, okay, finally, crisis averted, we won't see any more, you know, eurozone crises. I, I think you're sorely mistaken. I think that these are going to always exist, and, and this is just one of, of many that we'll see, uh, you know, in, in the future. That uh, will always, you know, create these kinds of headlines and and certainly fodder for us on the, on this podcast. And not only do they look at finances differently, they look at life differently, right. which is probably why, one of the reasons why they are they are in such a, a situation that they are in. I mean, it was a popular topic of conversation when I was over in Spain and Portugal, um, being that they were in similar situations and they could maybe be the next Greece if Greece does decide to exit. And like Jason, um, I think that it would be an interesting little research and development project. And and I would. Think that people would appreciate it being Greece exiting, since it is such a small nation, rather than uh, you know one of the backbones of the EU deciding you know we're through with this, we're not in financial right. trouble, <laughs> but we're just done and now we're out. Right. On the uh, flip side, yeah. Germany, you know, you could see someone making the case for Germany, it's just a saying you know what we don't need. Yeah, that's we're right. done with this. Just <laughs> so live where we're out. This headache. <laughs> <laughs> Good little lab experiment with Greece. That actually may that very well could happen. I mean, yeah. you see, Angela Merkel might just say, "All right, just this. I'm, I'm done. Let's just all right. We're, let's go back to our own and just uh, you guys deal with this." All right, let's bring it back to uh, a little closer to home. Marathon Petroleum is merging with Mark West Energy Partners. It's a 15.6 billion dollar deal, all cash and stock. This seems like, at least 
Taylor, based on the reaction of the stocks, this seems like a really good deal when you look at both stocks up big. Um, obviously, Mark West was going to be up because they're the ones thirty percent premium getting yeah. getting acquired here. But Marathon hitting an all time high. How good was this deal? It seems like uh, it works out for all parties involved. You know, Marathon is. Um they're the refiner of the of the group, and then they have their limited partnership, which has some oil transportation and butane storage in West Virginia. And then you look at Mark West being the second largest uh, natural gas processor in the U.S., the largest on the East Coast. Um, so there are some synergies there with Marathon. Um, Using a lot of natural gas liquids in their refining business, so there's some vertical integration there, um, and it's a tax-free deal. They're just swapping a, a unit for unit here, so um, they're avoiding some of that headache and uh, some savings on that side of things. But now they're they're going to be the fourth largest uh, midstream company in the U.S. Um, and right now, personally, I think that acquiring some more pipelines is probably the best bet because. With so much uncertainty on natural gas and oil prices, who knows what new pipelines are going to do once they enter the system if production does decide to start tapering off. It hasn't really yet in America. Production is still doing well, but if it does decide to taper off, um, new pipelines could sit around dormant. One of the things we talked about last week was looking ahead to second quarter earnings. Mm -hmm which really kick off in earnest this week. We had Alcoa reporting last week, but really, it, it, things start to gear up this week. And one of the expectations is that there are a lot of oil companies that are going to put up really terrible numbers mm -hmm. this quarter. What are you expecting? Is that, it, First, is that your expectation? And is there any bright spot, even if the bright spot is simply, yeah, this is going to be bad, but this appears like this is probably going to be the bottom. You know, I think it's just a, a bad situation of comparing this quarter to a, a pretty strong quarter, second quarter of last year. Prices were pretty riding pretty well. Um, in it's the, a tough in the, comp. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> tough comp. Uh, so the second quarter of last year, prices were were continuing to climb into the summer. Um, this second quarter, you actually saw prices climb in April and then moderate in in uh, May and June. But they're still half of what they were last year, so the the comp is just brutal. People are expecting a fifty percent drop in earnings. Um, so while it's a drop in earnings, I don't expect it to be just poor performance. I just think it's an, uh, a product of the company's environment. I don't think that the companies that were listed um, in that USA Today article that you pointed out to me earlier um, are doing anything wrong necessarily. Um, most of them are pretty big. They're internationally diversified, and they're. They're some of the ones that don't have as much debt. So I look at them as strong companies, and maybe you could see a buying opportunity coming out of this. But really, in my mind, it's just a tough comp coming up. It's not that they're doing anything wrong necessarily. In terms of buying opportunities, and this is, I guess, more of a logistical question than anything else, do you guys look at when something like this is happening? And and in your case, it would be energy. But to, when you're thinking, I think a buying opportunity is coming, and I've got my watch list. Will you actually add more money to your investing account? Will you add more money just so you can deploy? Do you start to look at, wow, okay, not only do I have my watch list of stocks I'm looking to buy, I've also got my watch list within my portfolio that mm -hmm. ooh, I think I might I might need to cut ties. I'm just curious. I guess my basic question is. How do you how do you think about 
the capital allocation? Do you, are you looking to add money, or are you looking to simply sell something to create the cash to take advantage of a buying opportunity? Yeah, I think that's a that's kind of a delicate balancing act, right? I mean, it's, oh, it's, it's always and it, and it, yeah. I should have prefaced the whole yeah. thing by saying this is a personal question, right? right. And, yeah, there is no one set answer. Yeah, I think uh, it depends on the account that you have. I mean, you know, I, I look at something like my four hundred one k here with work, and there's money constantly being added to that and constantly being invested on a consistent basis. Um, when I have you know like an IRA account with Scott Trade that has nothing but but stocks, I, I like to maintain. I try to maintain, you know, a cash position of around 10% or so at all times in that account so that I can take advantage of opportunities like that. Um, and that does require sometimes trimming a little bit uh, holdings that have either won or, you know, cutting cutting bait with losers. Um, you know, think with an IRA, you don't have to worry about the tax implications of selling it either, uh, which is nice. And so that, that's typically how I view that. And with a discretionary account where I, I will have to, you know, at least consider tax implications, um, I tend to stretch those holdings out for longer periods of time. Uh, but but yeah, definitely uh, always always something that I'm thinking about. What about you, Taylor? Yeah, I keep a buffer as well. Um, it would it would necessitate a pretty big drawback on my mind, one that you couldn't necessarily predict to really want to sell out of a lot of my positions. So I keep some some money in there that I'd be comfortable deploying at any given time. Um, but I don't. I've never really been in a situation where I was like, oh shoot, I really want to sell something because this is pulled back so dramatically that it's it's an opportunity. Because I wasn't really investing during the the recession in two thousand eight and two thousand two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and two thousand nine. So um, that's when I was starting, unfortunately, and fortunately in some cases. But I wasn't in that position to really put a ton of money to work all at once. I think the key is you just don't. You never want to be caught uh, as a desperate seller. Period. No matter what, you just don't want to be. Caught as a desperate seller. Anytime that you're a desperate seller, whether it's a house or stocks, it just sucks. You don't want to do it, <laughs> and and so that that's why we always you know we always talk about how time is the individual investor's greatest advantage. Or one of them really, and I think it really is the greatest advantage because you, your timeline, if it's if it's unlimited, then you really will never be stuck as a desperate seller, and then you're calling the shots, and that's really that's really what you want. Shares of Comcast hitting an all-time high today for two, well, very. Positive, but also very different reasons. Uh, Comcast is the parent company of Universal Pictures. Uh, the Universal Pictures Minions movie just really getting it done at the box office this weekend, bringing in nearly 400 million worldwide. Uh, on top of that, though, Jason, is this story about how Comcast is starting to test its own video streaming service in Boston. They're beta testing this. Obviously, this is not the finished product, but if this works for them, then all of those people who were saying the cable companies are doomed because of cord cutting, well, here's the largest cable provider in America offering up its own solution for cord cutting. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't know that I ever really viewed cable companies as being doomed simply because of of you know it's just it's just the method of how we're getting our entertainment right it's going from from sort of one channel to another in you know from cable television to internet it's just a matter of them really exploiting the fact that they you know have control over those pipes and so i mean better late than never for comcast in in that regard i'm honestly shocked that it took them this long to get there uh, given uh, you know the the Success of, of businesses like Netflix and I mean Amazon has certainly uh, developed their streaming product Hulu, uh, another another one that's that's getting better and better. Um, I, I think the 
biggest challenge for Comcast on this side is that they they have established such a poor reputation for customer service that it seems like most people are just trying to figure out any way they can be done with Comcast and, and you know they're going to have to get you got to get to get your internet from some somewhere um so i mean if there's another provider out there then uh, you know whether people would want to you know ditch Comcast for that other provider i just don't know i think you're you're a Comcast customer is that right i am not not the best experience not if, the if best. i recall so not i you know i mean I, i'd be interested to see if this is something that you would actually uh consider i'll tell you one of the bright spots when i was reading through this offering is the fact that this is a service that you can sign up for and cancel online. So the whole Big we're going to send a technician to your house, and here's a 19 hour window when they mm-hmm. might show up after waiting on the phone. That's for five yeah, hours that's gone. So I mean, yeah, I agree with you about their customer service, but they're also starting from such a low bar. I, I feel like part of the opportunity they have here is for a greater customer experience, absolutely, because they are working off of such a, a low. Bar right now. I mean, that's you're you're right. You're spot on. That's a huge opportunity, and hopefully they're viewing it this way because you know if they can add the dynamic of of live TV streaming capability. Um, I mean, I'll tell you as a FiOS customer, you know we have that capability. I can stream live TV on my iPad upstairs. I mean, it's it's a very nice uh, thing to be able to do, along with the on-demand op- options that they have available as well. So Comcast, they obviously have a huge customer base. Um, if they can really you know, exploit this as, as the opportunity that it appears to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see any reason why it shouldn't succeed. Um, minions, golly. I mean, holy cow. Let's be, let's be, ver- let's be clear. About, Did you see this? I have not seen the Minions either. movie. No, 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 no. I have not. 115 million here in the US, nearly 400 million worldwide. But let's be very clear. While this is a kid's movie for all intents and purposes, you don't rack up north of $100 million at the box office. Only with only one demographic, no. with yeah. only with only kids. I mean, I know people here in the office who are adults who do not have children <laughs> who are planning to go see this movie. I was going to say the adults with kids are using their kids as an excuse, but yeah. without kids, hey, yeah, they're just easy. I'd be interested to know Deezy out there. It's it's you, you don't have kids. I we could consider you an adult, right? <laughs> you gonna you gonna go see this? No, he's shaking. No, his no. shaking his head. If the Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, ratings aren't really that stellar. It's like 54%. I mean, it doesn't seem like it gets the you best know, reviews so in the world. For, for anyone listening who is unfamiliar, um, The Minions, uh, this is a spinoff of the Despicable Me movies, which were uh, hugely successful. Um, uh, there were two of those, and Minions are these little yellow creatures who speak gibberish. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> the the humor is uh, largely physical humor, but I gotta say, it's as physical humor goes, it's 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 pretty strong. But when I saw the international number that this movie put up, then the light bulb went off in my head, like, oh right, this is going to do a huge number internationally because they don't have to worry about translating <laughs> the minions. That's yeah. a very good so, point. So part of the, I mean, just to get back to the numbers for a second, part of the economics of this franchise for Comcast. And let's just stipulate right now, we're going to see at least two more of these movies. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We're absolutely going to yeah. see at least two more. Popularity of the Halloween costume alone. But the <laughs> economics are such that they don't cost a lot of money to produce. It's one guy who's the, who's the director and voices all of the minions. And yes, any of the dialogue that's in English presumably is going to be translated into Spanish and German and 
Japanese and, mm-hmm. and wherever they want this movie to go. But the minions themselves, they don't have to be translated. No, not at all. Saving yeah. more money. And I mean, it's, you know, the, the film filmed entertainment segment for Comcast. This is kind of, of Disney-esque, right? I mean, these are the headlines, but really, I mean, the filmed entertainment segment for Comcast makes up about 7% of total sales. you know. And so, then you think, well, the Minions movie is just only a small portion of that as well. Um, but it's what they can do beyond just the, the, the film property. You know, it's going to it's going to translate into toys. toys and Halloween costumes, like you said. I mean, you know, Amazon just was was clutch in sending out those minion boxes for the past like month. Those things were great. So they did a lot of press going into this release. I'm not shocked at all to see it do so well. But um, yeah, I mean, I think like Disney, they're probably going to stretch this one out for. A yeah, while. it's a good point. You don't need to be uh, someone who goes to the movies. To know what the minions are, all you have to do is do any kind of shopping or just those the, the marketing. What they saved in the production of this movie, they clearly plowed into marketing. Radio at full.com is our email address. Question from Amar Seti in Maryland. Guys, love the show. Here's my question Markel, a fool favorite, has had an astonishing run for a stock I thought would be slow and steady. It's crushed the market the past few months. The problem is, I don't know why. Any thoughts? Uh, it's a great question for for a couple of reasons, Jason. Not the least of which is, I like that Amar is thinking about this as just a. I think it's natural to look at a stock dropping and think, "Wait a minute, what's going on there?" It's rare that someone looks at a stock shooting up and goes, "Wait a minute, what? Why yeah. is this?" Because this is a stock that's up more than thirty one percent over the last six months, and I'm I, I don't own Markel, but I'm with him. I always thought of this as sort of a slow and steady. So I love that he's thinking about this in terms of wait a minute, before we <laughs> pop the champagne and throw the confetti, can we at least try and figure am out I what's really go- winning? Yeah, am I really winning? What's <laughs> what, what are, so? What's behind this rise? Well, this is, this I is mean, a, as he said, a full favorite. This is a company that, by and large, analysts at this company really like this business, really like the leadership. Uh, Tom Gaynor, the chief investment officer, as well as the the Markel family mm-hmm. that's been running it for years. Right. I mean, it, it, there's no question. It is it is trading a bit above its its sort of historical price to book value norm. Uh, I I think there are a number of reasons why. There's no one polarizing incident here that that has uh, you know led to Markel's great year. And it has a great. It's it's been having a great year as you noted. I I personally own shares in Markel, and so I'm obviously very happy uh, as as a shareholder. My father owns shares in Markel, and you know it was interesting in in like. Uh, a few months back, he said, like his broker advised, "Hey, you know, you ought to probably sell Markel and then, you know, put the proceeds into something like Intel or something like that." And so my dad asked my opinion on this, and I wait said, a minute, "Listen, wait a <laughs> did you really suggest it, it was something that something of that nature? It was it was something of that nature." And I was, I was the the point was, I said, "Man, you're shifting your money from something that's pretty steady Eddie to something that's pretty cyclical and not nearly as dependable." And, and I said, "I bought." My shares with the intent of holding them, you know, indefinitely, unless the story fundamentally changes. And, and I think that's why, you know, you bought them too. So, I mean, if it were me, I wouldn't do it. And, and thankfully, he didn't. And, and he's, you know, very happy that he didn't. Uh, and I think the the big question for Markel a little while back in 2012, they, uh, you know, they completed this big acquisition of a company uh, called Altera. It was another insurer, a specialty insurance company, very much like Markel, with a big balance sheet. 
uh, a lot of extra capital to invest. It was very conservative, uh, but but a well-run insurer. And Markel, like Altera, maintain a very good uh, eye on the combined ratio, which tells us how really efficient they're running the, the ship there, and if they're making a profit on their underwriting. Uh, and, and anything below 100% on the combined ratio means that they are. And so, you know, Markel has done a really good job through the years of, of maintaining a very good combined ratio. And then you you harped on leadership, and I think that with Tom Gaynor there as the chief investment officer, he's just a He's just a very good capital allocator, and you know you you just don't find that that often. But I mean, they they benefit. Markel benefits from not only the the operations of the business itself; they benefit from the portfolio of stocks that they own, and um, you know they benefit from this portfolio of of wholly owned businesses as well, sort of Berkshire Hathaway like uh, that they're doing there, and so they're they're realizing growth from a number of different. Uh, fronts and, and so you know this is just this is a high quality company. I think the market recognizes that it's it's definitely you know on on the the more expensive side of its of its norm, but uh, it's one that I would definitely consider adding to on any kind of a pullback because I you know, the story remains the same and I, I think this is one that again you, you want to hold essentially indefinitely unless we just realize that something fundamentally changes. So in terms of the questions that Markel was facing regarding the Altera acquisition, you feel like those have been answered, or is it absolutely, is it, or is it like, well, this is going well so far, but give it another? There, year. There's no question they've rolled this acquisition up nicely, and that was the biggest question was when you make an, an acquisition that big. You know, is is it going to work out? Are the cultures going to clash? Is this going to be money wasted? Where they've just, you know, they they just did a great job in rolling this thing up. I mean, they they you just can't point to anything that really they probably should have done differently. And I think that uh, you know the question of that of that acquisition is out. Uh, you know, now we don't have to worry about that anymore. I think the market initially did sort of react, I, I believe, to the downside when this acquisition was announced because of sort of that skepticism there. Um, but but really, what it did, it just it. it Combine these two into a very powerful uh, business that has a stranglehold on that specialty insurance uh, market. Does your dad's advisor listen to the to this show? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, and I'm not going to name any names. And I'm, uh, you know, if he's one of our dozens, I mean, hey, listen, we all get it wrong, right? I mean, everybody gets it wrong. Well, what struck me about the reason I asked the follow up was because I, I can see an advisor. Or anyone, for that matter, making the case: Hey, look, you've done well with this company. Take a little of it off, sell a little bit of it, put it towards something else. Particularly as we, you know, just use Markel as an example, I can see making the case: Look, this is a slow and steady company. You've done well with it. Sell a little bit and put it towards something riskier. Mm-hmm. So, it, so if the advisor was like, "Hey, sell some Markel and maybe take a flyer on, um, you know, Solar City, or you know, or something a little uh, more on the growth side of the equation," the idea <laughs> that someone would sell a little Markel and buy this gigantic tech company, like, wait. What? Yeah, it, it it didn't it didn't add up, but I mean it, it was just you know I mean as you said this is a foolish favorite we cover it you know very closely here I've followed it for a number of years, so I I would venture to guess that I I probably know a lot more about this business than he did or does and 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 that's okay um it but yeah I, I'm dad good job on holding the shoes <laughs> happy right. Father's Day <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. Jason Moser, Taylor Markman, thanks for being here. Thank you. And congratulations, man. Thank you very much. Well done. Yeah, it's exciting. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.